This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want you to turn with me to Luke if you have your Bibles there, and if not, I know that you're familiar with this story. And I want to bring a message to you today called Running to the Problem. That's what this day is all about. That's what you're all about. That's what your lives are all about. You're calling, you're training, you're serving, all about running to the problem. Most folks want to run from the problem, don't they? That's our nature. It's very natural for us to run from the problem. But there's a great need for people who will run to the problem. And I'll share this story with you about this fellow who ran to the problem. And he exemplifies for us the character qualities that are so highly esteemed on a day like this by a church like this. In Luke chapter 10, the Lord is having a conversation with a man who has ill intent. He's actually trying to trip the Lord up. What a foolish enterprise that is. And so he wanted to catch the Lord in, in a confusion or, or make him look silly or something like that. Same thing that happened over in Matthew 22 when they're a lawyer. Whenever you read the word lawyer in the Bible, it's not talking about an attorney. It's talking about a master of the Old Testament law. He knew all the laws. He knew all the regulations. Not, not only the 613 laws that are in the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible, but the thousands of laws that were written in the, in the uh, rabbinic writings as well. And these men spent their lives studying those things. And so one of them came and challenged the Lord, uh, and, uh, and, he sa- and he said, which is the most important commandment? And uh, thinking, well, whatever he says, well, I've got 612 others I can challenge him on. Because if he picks one, then he's diminished the others, you see. Well, that was his clever plan. So he asked the Lord, which is the first and great commandment? The Lord said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second, he said, is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. As though those two rules are the hinges on which the door of all truth swings open. We're not similar situations going on here. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 10 says, A certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do I have to get right to make sure that when I die, I'll go to heaven? I want to have eternal life, and I want to, I want to get it right. I think a man who would make a statement like that is probably saying, What's the minimum that I have to do <laughs> to get in the door. I think that's what his motivation really was. And the Lord asked him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? He answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. And then the man posed this question. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And the story to follow is Christ's answer to that question. Let's pray. 
Father, in the few moments that we have together this morning to look at this wonderful passage of scripture and the story of a man who ran to the problem, I pray that you'd help every one of us here, especially, Lord, those whose lives have been dedicated to running to the problem. But may all of us live with the nobility they exemplify, that we too would not run from the problem but run to the problem just as you ran to our problem. And that run took you to the cross in our place. Help me, I pray, to be a blessing to these servants today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. A right relationship with God and a right relationship with others both in Matthew 22 and here in Luke 10 and actually throughout the Bible. Those two relationships are emphasized. The vertical relationship, the horizontal relationship. There are many people who love portions of Scripture for the beautiful poetry they express. I've met many Christians who love to claim Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as their life verse. I won't ask for a show of hands today because uh, it, it might be everybody, it might be just a few. But in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we find wonderful, wonderful truth. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Would you like to live there in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Would you like for that to characterize your life where you're trusting in the Lord with all of your heart, not leaning to your own understanding, but in all ways acknowledging Him, knowing that He will direct your path? Would you like to live there? I would. I'd like for that to characterize my life. How do you get to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? The shortest, most efficient, and effective route to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 I'm going to give it to you right now. Proverbs 3, 1 through 4. <laughs> okay. Tells you how to get there. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. I'm showing you this, this paragraph from Proverbs 3 to show you it is a central, if not the central truth of the Bible. To tell us how to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. And that's why we gather here in a place like this, to be reminded of the relationship that God is offering to have with us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and our responsibilities to Him and therefore to others as Christians. So when we come back to our story here in Luke chapter 10, this text that we're about to read is the story that we call the prodigal son. I'm sorry, no, it's not. <laughs> it's the good Samaritan. <laughs> okay.
<laughs> no, we're reading the story of the Good Samaritan here. And what he tells us here, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I'm reading from Luke 10, verse 30. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now he, he turns back to the man who asked him the question, and he asks him this question. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? The man had asked him, who is my neighbor? And the Lord responded, whose neighbor are you, basically? And the man answered, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Lord, in the few moments that we have here, I pray that you help us to focus clearly on the simplicity of this message. Help me, I pray, to represent you well and wisely today. In Jesus' name, amen. Three men that we meet here in our story. The first is the man who had the problem. He's the one who called 911 to the Lord. <laughs> help, I'm in trouble. I need someone to come and enter into my problem with me, rescue me, and get me out of here safely. That's the, basically the message that this guy had. Now, was this a parabolic story? Was it, was it a story that the Lord was just kind of making up uh, on, the, on the spot uh, to teach a principle, or was it an actual event? I think it's, we have reason to believe it's an actual event because the language that, that the Lord used, he says in verse 30, a certain man... He did not say, it is as if a man. He says, a certain man. That language sounds like he's talking about an actual individual, does it not? I think that's probable. I think it's probable that the Lord is talking about an actual event. Certain man. And it's really interesting how he unfolds this story as he talks about this man who has a problem. We find that this man lying there naked and half dead on the side of the road represents mankind. People who've fallen into sin, people who need somebody to come along and save them. That's all of us. That's every one of us. So here's this fellow. He's, he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. There's a picture in that. We could preach a whole message on the fact that Jericho and Jerusalem topographically represent a downhill slide. Jericho is 1,200 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is about 3,000 feet above sea level. And they're only 15 miles apart. That's a steep, steep downhill trip to go from Jerusalem to Jericho. The word Jerusalem means the city of peace. 
The word Jericho is the city of the curse. Here's a representation of mankind. They've gone from the, from the place of blessing, the city of peace, as it were, in the Garden of Eden, to Jericho, the place of the curse. The place where, where it was said that if uh, whoever uh, rebuilt that city uh, would, would suffer the, the, the consequences and the man that did lost his sons, you can read the whole story in the Old Testament. But here was this fellow. He was on this trip and he fell among thieves. It was a dangerous, dangerous trip going down that old Jericho Road as they call it. If you go to Israel for a tour, you won't go on the old Jericho Road anymore because the modern uh, tour buses can't even navigate that, that, that road. It's treacherous. I've seen it, uh, but I can't imagine what it would be like to travel down there when, when you have thieves uh, hidden behind the rocks and all the, treacher, uh, the, the, the dangers and, and um, treachery involved and, the, and the, the people who make their living preying on others there. So here he was. That's kind of like mankind. We started out in the Garden of Eden in Adam and Eve and uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and God told them the consequences. Okay, you're going to have to get out of the garden and you're going to have to work hard for the rest of your life. In the sweat of your brow, he told Adam, you will eat your bread. Now, you know what ma mankind has been doing ever since God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden and told them they would eat in the sweat of their brow? What have men been doing ever since then? Trying to avoid sweat. That's what human life is all about today. People don't mind working for a living. They just don't want to sweat for a living. They don't want to be in danger. <laughs> they don't want to do what you do. They want it easy. They want to take it easy. They want it guaranteed. They want it comfortable. They want it when they want it. That's what our, our fallen flesh is all about. I was telling a fellow the other day, I'd like to write a book uh, telling about the story about Adam and Eve and how they tried to solve their own problem. And, of course, their solution was no, no solution at all. I'd like to call my book The Search for the Lasting Fig Leaf. <laughs> Isn't that what life's all about? I think I got the answer. <laughs> no, you don't, and neither do I. God's got the answer. That's it. We better trust him because all the solutions that we come up with are just going to, to fall away. So this fellow was on a downhill slide, and he was in a desperate situation. Fell among thieves, and it's just not one of these, you know, dark alley, give me your dough type situation. This is a, this is a they beat this guy half to death. And left him there to die. And that's the situation he was in. He was naked, it says. Left him naked. Stripped him of his raiment. Took his clothes. Took everything he had. Wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Do you know that's a condition of the human race outside of Christ? Every one of us is born half dead. Now think about that. We have a living body we have a living soul, which is our life, and we have a dead spirit when we come into this world. Why? Because we inherited from Adam a dead spirit. When Adam sinned against God, his spirit died that day. And therefore, every human being that's born since then is born with a spirit that is separated from God. And when a person puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for all of us, at that moment, through a process we call the new birth, God creates in that man 
a life. He enters that man's spirit and animates it with his own spirit. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, present tense, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's called the new birth. It's everlasting. I have a question for you. How long is that? How long is everlasting? It's eternal. God gives us eternal life. Now there are people in this room that have eternal life that live like they're still dead. You see? We submit to the Lord. We trust Him. We, we, we get animated through His Spirit as our spirit trusts Him, lives Him. And we can have the testimony, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that liveth in me, as the Apostle John wrote. And that's the whole goal of learning and growing through the Word of God and uh, the preaching of that Word of God. Now, when I was... Uh, taking what we call CPE. Some of you know what that is. The Association of Clinical Pastoral Education is the standard um, chaplaincy certification. There are others like it, uh, but, but that's the, the one that, that most people think of. When they think of a professional chaplain, they're thinking of a, and it's ridiculous how much training chaplains have to have if you have never thought it through. You know, they have to have a college degree, then they have to have a master's in, 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 in divinity at least. And that's another three years in college. And then if they have any graduate work or anything like that on top of that, and they get all that, then they have to be ordained. They have to have so many years of ministerial experience. But then they can't become a professional chaplain unless they're certified in clinical pastoral education, which takes 15 months full-time work. Amazing. And the Lord allowed me to do my CPE training at the Greenville Memorial Hospital, which is part of the Prisma um, Hospital System. It's a new name. Prisma. All of us who worked there mocked it and called it plasma. <laughs> but at any rate, we went to the hospital and we did that training. And my assignment, uh, I kept volunteering for it. Nobody else wanted it. I really did. Was in the trauma bay and the emergency room because it so represented for me what chaplaincy was all about. And some of you have an idea what that's about. I mean, police officers, fire service personnel and and EMTs and all of the, the emergency uh, medical doctors, nurses, they were all running there every night. And you know, it, when I was doing overnight shifts, uh, the horn would blow and, and we'd get up and go fast, get there. And, uh, and the, the scenes of carnage and mayhem are indescribable. I'm sure some of you live with that all the time. But, um, but the average person uh, they would look at those people as they're working in those scenes, as I did in those first few months, and come away thinking, how in the world do these people do this day after day, week after week, year after year? Because after a while, you just want to say, enough, enough, I need a break. And whenever you say that, well, the siren blows, and <laughs> you don't go and do it again, right? It's amazing uh, the resilience that people have to develop, and that's one of the reasons that that, that we see we civilians 
honor you and appreciate you so much, we have a little bit of an idea. I made a tape some years ago, back when cassette tapes were the thing, and all the cars had cassette tape players and stuff. I made a cassette tape called The Ministry of Law Enforcement. And I have a book out there called uh, Courage and Compassion. And the subtitle is The Ministry of Law Enforcement. And it explains uh, that. I, I based it on an experience I had. I was riding with an officer one night and things were a little slow. And after a couple of calls and stops, he said, uh, Chaplain, how'd you, how'd you get in the ministry? And so I gave him my testimony of how I became a Christian, how God called me to preach, and all that sort of thing. And after I told him all that, I asked him, how'd you get in the ministry? And he said, well, I'm not in the ministry. And I said, oh, but you are. And I took him to Romans 13. And I explained to him that the law enforcement officer is the minister of God to thee for good to execute wrath upon them that do evil. I'm quoting the scripture now. And I showed him all of that. And he said, can you write that, can you write that verse down for me? I'd be glad to. <laughs> and so finally, eventually I wrote, wrote a book on it. And I'd love for you to, you, you to have it. And if, and if you, you say, well, I didn't come prepared to buy a book. Maybe there'll be some gracious person here in the church that'll buy you one. I'll just pray to that end. But uh, at any rate, they're on the table back there. And, uh, yeah, and you can get them. several other books back there. And I'll, oh, I didn't do that. I should have done that at the beginning. Well, anyway, there's Courage and Compassion, which is for law enforcement officers. There's another book called More Precious Than Gold, which my late wife Brenda and I wrote together some years ago telling the story of a fire in our home very early in my ministry, which nearly claimed the life of my wife Brenda and our daughter Becky. And we are deeply indebted. Now, Becky's been here with me in other meetings in the past. She's written a book now called No Greater Love, telling the story of how her mother went into the fire and saved her life. And uh, she's a grown woman now, trying her best to, to get by and serve the Lord as, uh, as she can. But uh, at any rate, uh, so there's a book back there that, that would be of interest and help to fire service personnel as well. That's the one called More Precious Than Gold. And then there's a new book, just three, three, right? Yeah, okay. There's a new book back there. Uh, we'll tell you more about that this evening that we just published uh, called uh, Conversations, How to Engage in Gospel Conversations. Simple little book. Uh, and we wrote it to be an encouragement to you so you can tell others uh, why you have your hope in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're talking about this and, and this, this officer and I are discussing this business that people in, the, in law enforcement are actually in the ministry and doing the work of God. And, um, and, I, and I saw that so clearly when I was working in that, in that hospital for that year and a half and now I'm, I'm serving as a chaplain correctional system there in South Carolina. And I talk every day to people who have, I don't know how else to say it, thrown their lives away. And many of them are now warehoused for foolish decisions that they made. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a correctional department uh, chaplain, uh, I work in the chapel system of one of our prisons. We have quite a few of them in South Carolina. And uh, there are eight men that I work very closely with, not counseling and preaching and teaching them, 
but working alongside them who are assistants to the chaplains uh, there in the prison system. Eight men, all of whom are serving life for murder. And they're some of the finest Christian men you'll ever meet. They've gotten saved. They've read their Bibles. They are growing. They know they put themselves where they are. And they're not going to get out. And they're making the best of what's left of their lives. That's an interesting phrase right there. You ought to get a hold of that phrase. The devil will do everything he can to defeat you and destroy you. And he will beat you half dead and leave you on the side of the road. But you remember, the Lord will come along and he'll raise you up and he'll clean you up and he'll put you back to work and you can do the best you can wherever you are in whatever shape you're in. That's the message of this good Samaritan. So there's the story of the man who had the problem. Very quickly, let me tell you about the man who ran to the problem now. We hear about these other things. There's several of these guys. In verse 31, it says, By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. God knows who those people are. He knows who the charlatans are. He knows who the pretenders are. He knows the guys who are in the ministry because they want a title or they want to wear some kind of get up that, that will identify them as some ecclesiastical person. So he knows who those fellows are. He knows what's going on in their hearts. And he, he, he's not impressed by all the stuff he sees on the outside. He's not impressed by all the pomp and circumstance that surrounds a lot of people who consider themselves and want others to consider them to be great, powerful religious leaders. This fellow saw this man and walked right by him. Just went, just went around him and didn't want to get defiled by him, didn't want to touch him, uh, didn't want to be a part of what was going on. Just because a person is in some religious position and is recognized as such by the way he dresses, the way he carries himself, that does not mean that he is a representative of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. The person who is merely religious has nothing to offer. Nothing to offer. Why do you suppose so many people today say, well, I'm just not much interested in religion? Well, I'm glad to meet you. Neither have I. <laughs> you see, that'd be my answer to a fellow like that. This priest, he was merely religious. He pretended, but he just saw him. He saw him, you know, what does it say? He saw him, he passed by. He saw him, and he passed by. That's the standard response of the person who doesn't care. They see it, they drive by. They gawk as a spectator, and then they keep on going, going their own way. So he was merely, merely religious. There's another guy here. He's law-abiding, uh, but he had not, nothing to offer this dying man. Verse 32, likewise a Levite, that's a keeper of the law, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. He had nothing to offer either. He was trying his best to be good, to do right, to help by example or whatever we might say about him, but he really had nothing to offer either. Here's this poor guy. He's naked. He's half dead. He's lying on the side of the road. And neither one of these fellas 
are willing to do anything other than gawk. They look at him and they keep on going. Such a shame. What would you do? What would you say to this dying man? Would you encourage him? Would you say, well, here's what you need to do, buddy, and give him some advice? I remember asking a person after witnessing the gospel to them for a good half hour, I said, what would you do? What would you do? If you came out your front door and you saw an accident in the street in front of your house and the driver of a car was dying and in distress, they were bleeding, they were seriously injured, and you go up to that car and the person asks you, I'm dying, I don't want to go to hell. What can I do? How can I avoid going to hell? What would you say to that person? And this person said to me, I would tell them, well, try to be a good person. I thought, That's the most insane answer. I mean, here's a person who's got seconds to live. We have a chaplain. Uh, some of these guys here know him, Gary Fisher. He's uh, been army chaplain for many years. He's a colonel now. He's doing a great, great job. When he was a young captain, he was over in Iraq on one of his tours over there. And in the middle of a firefight, and they were all hugging the ground and trying to get under vehicles and things like that. And somebody said, chaplain, on me, like that. And so he just got up and went over there. And here was a guy who was shot and not going to make it. I mean, he had like minutes to live. And I, I don't want to describe it when the body starts shaking and the, and the guy can't get his air. And it's... You can tell when somebody's dying, if you've ever seen it. And this man is dying and bleeding. And he's looking at the chaplain. He's pleading, pleading, you know, hope, anything. Well, I'm about to go through a door I've never been through before. And the bullets are flying. And, the, you know, here they go. And, and Gary Fisher reached out and got that guy by the hand. And he said, soldier, there are two things on this battlefield that are eternal. Your soul and God's truth. And he held up his New Testament. He says, we got seconds to get those two things together. And he told him how to believe on the Lord. He told him what Jesus did for him. I mean in about a minute. And then he led that man to the Lord. And he claimed the Lord as his Savior. And he died. And that was it. Sometimes your evangelistic opportunity moves very, very swiftly. Sometimes it takes place over a long period of time. But there he was, and he got those two things together. And that's what we're supposed to do as representatives of the Lord and Christian people. We are to help people understand that above all, preparing your soul for eternity takes the priority. This guy, he had nothing. He was religious. He knew the law. He couldn't think of anything to say. He was at that place. He came and he looked on him and he passed by the other side. Thank God for a man who has the presence of mind when he sees an emergency, responds to it appropriately. Now we got a guy who's actually not as socially advantaged as either one of those. The priest and the Levite both had positions of influence and power, therefore respect. And here's a Samaritan. Samaritan people were looked down upon by most of the Jewish people. They were people who lived in the land, Canaanites, who had intermarried with some of the Jewish people that were coming in. And so they weren't truly Jews. They weren't truly Canaanite people. They were Samaritans. 
And so when they would speak of someone who was from Samaria or that region where there was this mixed blood, there was a sense of prejudice and offense that many people would, have put, would apply to them. And so here he came. He came in verse 33, a certain Samaritan. It, it, that, there, the, that word certain again. Okay, maybe a, a, an actual guy. He came, uh, as he journeyed, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he didn't pass by. He didn't walk away. He came right in there and had compassion on him. And he went to him. He saw him. He had compassion on him. And he went to him. That's a natural progression of response for a person who's got a right heart. He saw it. He cared about it and he got into it. He got involved. He ran to the problem. That's what all of you do. You get the call. You hear the siren. The emergency comes. You get up and you go. And you get in the middle of it. And you do what you can. You help in any way that you can. That's why we call you first responders. All of us who know the Lord should be spiritual first responders. But most Christian people are sort of like these first two rather than this third one. All of you by your profession, you're like the Samaritan. You get up and go. You run to the problem and thank God for the people who do. He went to him and look what he did for him here. He went to him and bound up his wounds, stopped the bleeding, got him bandaged, poured in oil you know, when you pour some kind of clean oil on a wound, it softens the skin. It uh, helps the blood uh, that's caking in the wound to be soft and uh, easy to be wiped away and removed. And, and it helps the tissues and the flesh to heal without the pain of continually tearing the wound open. I mean, it's, it was an ancient medicinal procedure that they followed but it's all they had and it's all they needed. So he poured in this oil and wine. With the, the, the alcoholic content would be like an antiseptic to help clean his wound. So he was doing everything he could to help this fellow. And then what did he do? He set him on his own beast. Here, take my car. <laughs> you know? In other words, he was on his journey and he's riding his donkey or whatever he's got. Uh, but now this, this fellow, he can't make the journey. And so he gets him up there somehow and he puts him up on that, that, uh, that beast. Uh, and when he sets him up there, uh, he takes him to an inn. Takes him to, I don't think it was a Hampton Inn or something like that. But it was, it was the place where people would go to recuperate and rest. And he puts him in there and he takes out a couple of coins. Uh, and, he, and he gives them to the innkeeper. And he says, now take care of him. Take care of him and help him. Help him get well. Keep him safe. And when I come back by this way, I'll check. And when you tell me uh, how much you spent on him, I'll repay you everything. Now that's Jesus, isn't it? These first two guys, they're all, all people in the world. But this guy, this guy exemplifies Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He came to this earth. He came down here where all of us are laying on the side of the road, naked and half dead. And he paid the penalty. He bore our burden. He got us to the place where we need help. Now this innkeeper, he, he's got to represent the church. I think. And he got him over there where the pastor could love him and take care of him and so on. 
Now, Christ is asking the question. Okay, of these three, who was this guy's neighbor? Who acted like a neighbor for this fellow who was laying on the side of the road? Christ helped him to see. It's not who can be your neighbor. It's who needs you for a neighbor. That's what it's all about. Now I'll close with a quick story. I can imagine, I don't know for sure, but I can imagine that this guy spent some time in the inn. And while he was there in the inn, recovering from his wounds, I think he probably made friends with the innkeeper. And I don't know exactly what it was like. I'm sure it was some kind of a stone structure similar to all the buildings they built in that part of the world in that particular era. I don't know if they had a front porch. I don't know if they had any rocking chairs back then. But I can sort of imagine if they did that this fellow got to spend some time on the front porch in a rocking chair with the innkeeper. They made friends. They talked about their lives. And he thanked him. Oh my, how you've taken care of me. I, just, I can never repay you for all that you've done for me. He says, oh, no, no, no. It's not my expense. The fellow that brought you here, he took care of all your expenses. And he told me the next time he comes through here, if you have any new expenses, he'll take care of those too. So the innkeeper told this man, this, this fellow that came to recuperate, all about the Savior that had collected him off the side of the road and brought him to the place of safety. Can you, can you imagine as that fellow got well, got to feeling better, and went on his journey, and he found a way to have some, uh, some uh, beast of burden and uh, resources, maybe the innkeeper helped him, and he gets back out there on the road and he's continuing on his journey, and he's going down the road to Jericho, and all of a sudden he looks to the side of the road and here this fellow has been in recuperation now for months. And what does he see on the side of the road but another fellow who's been robbed, who fell among thieves, was stripped naked and left half dead on the side of the road. And what do you suppose he might do? Well, I believe he might help pick that fellow up, put him on his beast and see, I know where you go and I know where a fellow is who can be a real help to you. And he took him to the inn. And he said, you know what you did for me when, when that fellow brought me here? Would you do it again for this guy? Would you help him? Give him a place to, to stay? Help bind up his wounds and take care of him the way you did me? That innkeeper said, why sure. I'd be glad to do that. And that fellow, he spends some time. And he gets to talk to the innkeeper. And he grows strong. And he goes back out. And he gets on the road of his journey. And lo and behold... He sees somebody on the side of the road who fell, fallen among thieves and left there naked and half dead. So he says, well, you know that what that fellow did for me, that's what I need to do for this guy. So now we got a third guy who's been rescued on the side of the road. Same story. Over and over and over again. That fellow gets well. He goes out from the inn. And he dedicates himself to finding somebody on the side of the road that needs a hand. And down through the years, down through the centuries, down through the millennia, there have been people who recognize that somebody cared enough to help them in their darkest hour. To take them somewhere 
where they could hear truth and where they could be well, get well, where they could be nurtured and then sent out to serve even more. And I can imagine over and over and over and over again, that story repeats itself down through the annals of human history. Until one day, there's a fellow named Gary who's serving in the American military in Southeast Asia, who finds a fellow named John, naked and half dead, spiritually, on the side of the road. And he picks him up, and he gets him to the innkeeper. And the innkeeper takes care of him, teaches him, and nurses him, and helps him to get well and get back on his feet. And then that fellow says, Lord, I'm going to give you the rest of my life. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life going everywhere I can, trying to find fellows that are in trouble, people that need help, people that need to get to the end where the innkeeper can nurse them back to health. That's what human life ought to be about. And the best representation we have of that lifestyle and that dedication to rescuing the perishing, my friends, is you. You're the best picture, the best illustration, the most consistent individuals among us who have dedicated your life to the thankless task of running to the problem. And you know stories, and I'm sure you've heard many, of people who have run to the problem and it was the last run they ever made. They went in to rescue somebody and ended up making the ultimate sacrifice. That's what our first responders do. That's what our military does. That's what, that's what so many caring, serving, loving people do. I salute you for your service, for your sacrifice, for all the things that you represent to all of us. May I say today on behalf of this church, we appreciate you. We appreciate you more than you know. When I told that fellow this morning, I have the honor of speaking at a first responders appreciation day. And he stood up straight and he looked at me and it affected him. I knew it affected him. And it was his way of saying, yeah, I need to be doing that. I need to appreciate these people. I didn't, he didn't say it out loud, but I read his mind. <laughs> and I think that's what he was thinking. We love you. This is a good church to be concerned about you. You're deserving of what they're doing today. So thank you. Thank you. But remember this. There's always that possibility. Here's this priest. He went into the ministry because he would say he went into it because he wanted to help people. But he's not doing it. Here's the Levite. He's a professional people helper. But he's not doing it. Right? 
Worlds filled with people that, I mean, they, they just want to dress up like a cowboy or something. I don't know what it is, you know, but it's just a game. It's not real. And there are people that do that with all Christian responsibility. There's no greater love than to lay down your life for another. The Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And people in, in, in your profession are called to do that. Run to the problem. I hope you'll remember that. I hope that you'll realize what a noble calling you have. And have the courage and the compassion that you'll have to get from God in order to do your job faithfully, fully for life. If you come to this service today, I hope you'll, that you'll receive humbly the appreciation of this church. But I hope more than that, you'll hear some truth here. That Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. He came here to rescue you. He died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin. There are people in this room today that can take the word of God and spend a few minutes with you and help you understand how you can leave this building different than you came in. If you're not 100% sure that you're on your way to heaven, you can take care of that instantly. And we'd love to help you do that. And you say, well, I don't know any of these people. Well, I've been talking to you for an hour. You know I can talk. So come talk to me before you leave. Okay? And I'll help you. If you can. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your protection. Lord, thank you above all for the fact that you ran to our problem. You didn't run from it. You came where we were in our, in our horrible condition and you rescued us. You saved us. You lifted us up. And you drew us to yourself. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love to us. And if there's anybody here today that needs to do business with God about this matter of salvation or surrender, I pray, Lord, that before they leave, they would make that a priority. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.